Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode three of Walk On Radio. I'm Dal Meyer here with Ryan Humphreys, and this episode is the college football episode. We are about three and a half weeks till training camp, give or take, with all this COVID situation, but we're going to give you a preview on the, on the season. Humphreys, how are you feeling about all this? Man, I'm excited. Uh, I have a, have a deep passion for college football, not only... Uh, not only because we play it, but grew up watching it. It's a big part of my weekend plans. You know, you wake up every Saturday morning, turn it on college game day, see see what's on today's slate. Uh, I love the upsets in college football. And just, just the tradition uh, behind college football really, really makes it special for me. Uh, so you had a really good idea, and you wanted to start this episode off by giving uh, the people our favorite college football player. So go ahead and start. Who is your favorite college football player of all time? Man, uh, if you know me, you know that this one is not a tough one. Uh, I gave it zero thought. It took me less than five seconds to decide this, but I'm going Vince Young, uh, the greatest college football quarterback of all time. Uh, he's the GOAT. He national champion, two-time Rose Bowl champion, should have been a Heisman Trophy winner, but I, I met him actually when I was – young um and i just you know my, my whole life that's kind of been the the first big time college football player that i remember and and looking at his old highlights today i i still love every second of it what about you dalton well first of all goat is a hot take that's that's for another that, that, episode <laughs> that'll that's be for another episode <laughs> but my answer is also a hot take uh you know i grew up as a tight end i kind of worked my way and i liked watching the tight ends and there's this one tight end in college football that I would watch all the time and I kind of looked up to and I styled my plate after him. And it is the Florida State tight end Nick O'Leary. No, but not a lot of people heard of him. I'm going to say you might be the only guy <laughs> whose favorite player is Nick O'Leary. The thing that stood out about him was he didn't wear gloves. And that's okay. my thing. I don't wear gloves. You're gonna, I, I hear, hear you're going to be a tape guy this dude, year. Dude, finger tape, <laughs> I'm rocking it, fullback action, even though I'm a tight end. But Nick O'Leary, Florida State, uh, I think he's playing for the Bills right now. He's wearing gloves, unfortunately, but I'll let it slide. So uh, college football going on, but we have a situation with COVID-19. You know, people still don't know what's going on, what the plan is. So what do you think is going to happen with the season? There's a lot of spring football talk. There's a lot of, you know, non-conference or conference play only. What do you think is going to happen? I would say first and foremost, at some point in in this this calendar year, so I mean, in the fall or in the spring, we will play college football, and I'm, I'm fairly confident about that. Now, is that in August? Is that in December? Do we start games in March? I, I don't have the answer. Uh, I think things lately are pointing to a, a possible spring season, um, and there and there's positives around that. But you know, I I think that. You know, everyone just needs to stay positive about it because, again, like I said, I truly do believe there will be college football, and you know, we just we just gotta gotta be patient. And let let the people making decisions decide whatever they're gonna do. Yeah, I'm on board with you, man. Uh, college football is gonna happen. We don't really know when. Uh, with three and a half weeks left till training camp, you know, they're gonna have to make a decision soon. So hopefully, something comes out. But we all know football is happening. And because football is happening, let's get on with this preview. And we're going to start off with the ACC, which has, you know, a lot of people like to say the new Alabama. They got a powerhouse. Uh, talk to me about the ACC Atlantic. 
In the ACC Atlantic, uh, if you have anyone other than Clemson picked, you are not paying attention. Over the last five years, Clemson has has arguably been the best program in college football. Um, you know, Davo Sweeney at the helm is is one of the top top coaches in college football, in my opinion. And you've got Trevor Lawrence, and I feel like he is he's second to none in college football. Um, uh, to me, going into the NFL, I think he's one of the the most you know high ceiling players to come out of college at the quarterback position in a long time. Uh, I think that he, he I mean, every, he does everything. He, he's crazy arm, awesome accuracy, runs the ball, really huge, big body, um, and not to mention you've got guys like Travis Etienne, you know, a, a solid defense couple starters coming back from last year's uh, national championship finalist team. And so I feel like Clemson is is the clear favorite. Uh, I have them going undefeated in ACC play um, on their way to to a probable college football playoff. Yeah, I love Clemson too. You know, Trevor Lawrence is going to be one of the best products going into the NFL. Uh, Travis Etienne's a great running back. Now the problem is, is Justin Ross. Justin Ross is going to miss the season. He uh, had an injury in the spring, so that is very big. But, uh, you know, they're losing their D-line uh, as well, but I they still have a really good defense, a really good offense, and I think the stomping that they took by LSU is going to be some motivation. They're going to come back a very angry team. For my number two, you know, originally I had Wake Forest, which is a hot take, but after looking into it more, I decided to go with Florida State. Uh, they have a brand-new coach in Memphis's old coach, Mike Norvell, and, you know, I like James Blackman. I think uh, if you watch the first week against Boise State, they start off really hot. And I think he's a good quarterback. And they have a transfer running back from A&M. The only problem is their offensive line. I mean, you see it every year, the past couple of years, their quarterback gets murdered. So hopefully their offensive line gets fixed. But uh, I have Florida State at two. What about you? Yeah, I, Florida State, you know, I they're going to be back. They they. They once in this decade were were a prominent figure in college football, and I believe they will be back. Uh, to me, that time is not now. I think they'll be a middle-of-the-pack team. I actually have them finishing third in the ACC Atlantic. Um, I, I've got Louisville as second. Uh, I think I think they're going to have a real high-powered offense this year. And, you know, but, but like I said, Clemson's a clear-cut favorite. And, and so in this situation, uh, you, you mentioned Wake Forest. I think teams like... Louisville, Florida State, Wake Forest, those are going to be your your middle-of-the-pack beating-each-other-up teams for that division. Yeah, I had uh, Louisville at four because, you know, I do like their offense. They are the fourth-ranked offense, and they, they have numbers that compete with Clemson. Their problem is their defense. They have no defense, and that's going to be a problem when you have a good offense like Clemson. And Wake Forest, who I have at number three, you know, I like Sam Hartman. He was a, a true freshman starting, and he really competed with uh, the other teams in the ACC. Um, so I think Wake Forest has a good shot. And then the bottom, the next bottom, you know, Boston College, Syracuse, and NC State. You know, for Boston College, my only thing for them is who's going to replace A.J. Dillon, the future Packer great. <laughs> so, you know, the last the last three teams, it's not going to be effect with Clemson and Florida State, Wake Forest, and Louisville, but, you know, you never know. There's, there can always be that one team that comes up. And uh, moving on to the ACC Coastal, you know, talk about teams on the come up. UNC, you know, this whole conference got a bunch of good teams. What's looking for you? Well, with my Texas background, you will know that I am a huge Mac Brown believer. 
think Mac Brown in, in what he was able to do in his first year at North Carolina was really impressive. Uh, if you keep up with recruiting at all, you'd know that he is tearing it up. I mean, for for not being a blue blood team in in college football, for being more of a basketball school, really, they're tearing it up in recruiting. Uh, I love Sam Howell. I think think he can have a breakout season uh, at North Carolina. You know, this is a this is a more competitive division in the ACC. Virginia Tech, Miami, Virginia, all all solid teams. But I, I think that North Carolina. And listen, this is a hot take. I think North Carolina runs the table. They don't play Clemson in their regular season slate. I think they run the table and lose in the ACC championship to Clemson. Yeah, I mean, I have UNC at 1-2, and just watching the Clemson game last year kind of shows what they have the capability of. I like Sam Howell, too. Uh, For my number two, I had Miami, and the reason why is because they have a new offensive coordinator who came from SMU, and they're turning from a pro style to a spread offense. And with their new quarterback, De'Aaron King from Houston. Love De'Aaron King. Absolutely love De'Aaron King. I played him in high school. I got to see firsthand how good he is, and he's only gotten better. And they also have tight end Brevin Jordan, who's one of the top-ranked tight ends. Um, so I like Miami. I think they're going to be a really good offense. And then for defense, they have the considered the best pass rush tandem in years with Gregory with 15.5 sacks and then a transfer from Temple who had 13 sacks. So their defensive pass rush is going to be really good. But uh, Virginia Tech... Another thing about Virginia Tech is they're returning uh, 20 starters. I mean, that's very important in college football with how everyone comes and goes. Uh, but like Humphrey said, it's going to be really competitive between all those teams in there. And uh, one thing that's interesting for me is Duke now has Chase Bryce, who backed up Trevor Lawrence and Clemson. Now, I don't think Duke is going to do very much in the ACC, but I like to see how he plays as a quarterback. And then, of course, there's Georgia Tech who always comes in and plays close games for no reason. So maybe Georgia Tech, but I have UNC, Miami, then Virginia Tech. What do you got for your three? UNC, Virginia Tech, Miami. Uh, you know, I think Miami could finish second. I think Derek King is arguably the most dynamic quarterback in the nation as far as, you know, run-pass option. Uh, he, he's a Lamar Jackson-esque player. Um, he, he, he's, got, he's got a high ceiling going to have good guys surrounding him at Miami, a lot of good athletes. But but for now I'm going to put him third. Uh, Miami hadn't shown me much over the last few years and I love I love the consistency that Virginia Tech is going to be able to have bringing back all those starters. So we move on to the Big 10. Uh, just like the ACC, the Big 10 kind of got a big powerhouse, but if you look at it, there's another team that's kind of in there. So what do you think about the Big 10? First, I want to say about the Big Ten is the SEC re, uh, reigns supreme in college football. There's no doubt, but I would definitely say that the Big Ten is knocking on the door as far as competitiveness goes. You, you, you've got Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota. Uh, you, you've got middle of the pack teams: Michigan State, Iowa, Nebraska. All very competitive college football programs um, in the Big Ten East. Uh, I've got Ohio State winning it. Uh, I, I think Ohio State is is one of the teams to beat this year. I think that you know with a with a Heisman Trophy like player in Justin Fields, I think that they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. You know they lost a lot of a lot of good players to the NFL draft, but you know as well as I do that Ohio State is able to you know that they're not uh, what's the word 
they're they're reloading. They're not. Mm-hmm. They don't have to reboot. They're they're. I mean, they got guys coming in left and right. Uh, behind them, I love Penn State. I think Penn State. If there is a team that can knock down Ohio State, I think it is Penn State. And we talked about this earlier. How how big of a game this will be. But Ohio State at Penn State. I think that's going to decide a lot of the fate for the Big Ten East. Yeah, uh, Ohio State has won the last three Big Ten championships, and last year they won every game by double digits. And the FBI ranked them having a 90% chance to win eight out of nine games. But there was only one game that was Penn State that they, it was kind of in the air. Uh, they were a seven-point favor to beat Penn State in a neutral game, but they're playing at Penn State. Now, with the COVID, if they're going to have fans or not, with fans, it's definitely going to be a packed house, probably the wideout game. Those are crazy. So it's definitely going to be a close game. Uh, I have Ohio State one as well. Justin Fields is going to be a top three Heisman uh, finalist. The problem for them is is they lose J.K. Dobbins, who played running back last year. And the guy that they had slated to be the next running back tore his ACL in the spring. So they're going to have to rely on Oklahoma transfer Trey Sermon, which, you know, he was good at Oklahoma, so they're not losing too much. Uh, and then they have a good receiving core. They have a good tight end. Um, Penn State, they're, they're bringing back their, their quarterback, their problem is, is they do not have a receiver on their roster with more than a dozen catches except for one, and, and they have six freshmen. So they have a really young receiving core, but they're bringing back five of, their tight, uh, five of their offensive linemen and the best tight end in college football right now. So Penn State looks really good. Ohio State looks really good. That's going to be a battle. But I have Ohio State one, Penn State two, and then Michigan three. And Michigan, I think this is a Harbaugh is a hot seat. I think if he has another bad year, he's gone. And I like him. I thought he was a good coach. He's a good recruiter. But, I mean, if Michigan's uh, fans expect a lot. And if they don't win again, I think he's gone. What do you think? I totally agree. I think Michigan is, is one of those teams that, you know, they're going to be ranked pretty, pretty decently high in, in preseason rankings, you know, that 10 to 15 range. And, and year after year, they kind of just disappoint. Uh, they don't beat Ohio State. It, ever it seems like and and as as die hard as as the Michigan fans are you you gotta you gotta produce wins and so I think I think you're right I think Harbaugh if if they don't you know put out a, a lot of a lot of good product this year that he, he's probably gone I think he is on the hot seat yeah and an- another player I didn't mention from Penn State is also Micah Parsons who is considered one of the best defensive players in college football so I expect a lot out of him. And then another problem with Ohio State that I saw is they're losing three of their best secondary. And so their secondary is going to change a lot. And they also lose Chase Young, who just got drafted by the Red something. Yeah, red whatever, Wolves, whatever they are. Wings, we'll see. And something. So they're, they're lo- Ohio State's losing a lot. But the fact that they're still ranked, you know, one and two next to Clemson kind of says a lot about the team. Um, so moving on to the uh, Big Ten West. You know, this one's kind of a close one. There's a couple good teams in there, but it looks like Wisconsin's kind of the big dog still. But Minnesota's kind of creeping in. What do you think? Uh, you know, I've, I'm, I've got Wisconsin winning this one. I, Wisconsin has is is been a really consistent team over the last decade. But don't count out Minnesota. I love Minnesota. I love that head coach. I love what, what he's been able to do with kind of a little brother Big Ten program. And, and I think they are definitely prime to to win some ball games this year. I think the the game I think the game with with Wisconsin is is going to be pretty much the decider on who wins the Big Ten West and and who travels 
to play Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship. So I have Wisconsin winning it as of now, but Minnesota is definitely knocking on the door. Yeah, I have uh, Wisconsin 1-2 at number one. Uh, it is a quarterback battle in Wisconsin right now. They have Jack Cohn, who played last year and had a solid year, but they redshirted a quarterback named Graham Mertz, who they're really big on. So, you know, you never know what they're going to have at quarterback. And their big issue is who's going to play running back. Jonathan Taylor's gone. He's on the Colts now. Yep. And so they're thinking running back by committee. So we, you don't know how that's going to go. But they have a four-star running back in Jalen Berger who just came in. Um, I do like Minnesota, too. They always they had a crazy year last year. I think P.J. Fleck is a great quarterback. Another team that always comes in, and, you know, they've had a lot of issues this offseason, but Iowa, you know, they have a lot of stuff going on. And, you know, I don't know what their deal is going to be this season, but Iowa always comes in and upsets somebody and has a good year. So I could see Iowa having a good year. And then I put a number four, which is another hot take, Nebraska. Now, they've had a pretty rough couple years, but I like Scott Frost. I think he's turning it around. I like Adrian Martinez at quarterback. And, you know, I love the fans. They're always there for a packed house. So any game at Nebraska is going to be tough to play with if we have fans or not. So I, I have Wisconsin 1, Minnesota 2, Iowa 3, Nebraska 4. But we'll look out for Minnesota. And then um, Northwestern as well. Northwestern has been talked about a lot. So, you know, like I said, an upset can happen at any time. So look out for Northwestern. Anything else on the, on the West? Yeah, we have the exact same rankings uh, for the Big Ten West. Uh, Wisconsin is my favorite. Minnesota's right behind them. Iowa is good enough to beat anyone on their schedule. Uh, it's tough to play there. And, and Nebraska, you know, I think they've been disappointing as a whole, but it is hard to play in Lincoln, Nebraska. I've been to that stadium. It's immaculate. Packed house is definitely makes it a tough environment to play in. But talking about uh, Big Ten as a whole, I have Ohio State beating Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship and probably moving on to the college football playoff. As do I. And now we move on to the big dog, the SEC. I mean, the, these are where championships are made. These are where championships are born. And this one's going to be a little bit tougher than I originally thought it was going to be. You, we have a bunch of good teams in this in this conference. Uh, why don't we talk about the SEC East first? So the SEC East, uh, the the lesser competitive than uh, the lesser competitive division in the SEC. Excuse me. You still got Georgia, you got Florida, you know, Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina. Uh, in this one, I've got Georgia. Uh, I'm a big Jamie Newman guy. Uh, I'm sure you have something to say about that coming up. But, I, you know, Georgia, they haven't been able to, to really get over that hump that is Alabama and, and the rest of the SEC West. But every year they, they put out good players. Uh, you know, they lose players to the NFL. But like I said with Ohio State, they are able to to just get more dynamic players what seems like every year. So I'm not worried about Georgia losing Jake Fromm. I'm not worried about Georgia losing DeAndre Swift. I think that they will, you know, find their guy. I think Jamie Newman, the transfer quarterback, is going to have a breakout year uh, as the new Georgia quarterback. And I think Georgia – Wins the SEC East. Uh, I disagree. I so saying that I had Wake Forest Wake ranked second earlier, and then changed them to third. But I did watch a lot of Wake Forest games for absolutely no reason. They're a team that I like, which I can't explain why I like them. So I got to watch Jamie Newman a lot, and he seemed really off and on. Um, 
And you have to put in the fact that JT Daniels is now at Georgia too, and he was granted uh, uh, eligibility right away. So I think it's going to be a QB battle. But given the experience for Newman, I do think Newman will be the starter. But I don't think he does as good as everybody says. They don't have a running back right now that is kind of big name yet. They have a, the guy that's slated to be the starter is Amir White. Uh, he doesn't really have a big-time defensive team. He calls his defense a no-name defense for a reason. My number one is the Florida Gators. I absolutely love the Florida Gators. Uh, they have the top returning passer in the SEC in Kyle Trask. Uh, he played right behind Derek King in high school, so I got to watch both of them run over everybody in my in Texas high school football. I love top Kyle Trask. He is the key to all of it. They have an all-SEC tight end in Kyle Pitts, and they have two really good receivers in Trayvon Grimes and Kadarius uh, Tony. So that gives Trask two options to uh, throw with. And they also have two running backs who are going to be really good, including a former five-star transfer from Miami. So they have a really good offense. Now it's going to come down to their defense to play in this SEC because if you don't have a good defense in the SEC, you're done. But they have a transfer from Georgia in Brenton Cox Jr., and they have another guy named Marco Wilson. So I really like Florida. I think this is their year finally. Do I think they win the SEC outright? I don't know. Do I think they win the SEC East? Yes. And I don't. I think Georgia finally has another off year. Um, and then my number three, which is kind of surprising, but Tennessee. Tennessee was, what are they, the third-ranked recruiting class this year? Yeah, they had a, had a good recruiting class. They have a brand-new coach. They have a, it seems they're having a culture change. Uh, so I think Tennessee is going to come around and have a really good year. But uh, one team to look out for, which always has upsets, is South Carolina. Yeah, South Carolina. They always ruin somebody's playoff chances. So I'll look out for South Carolina. But my top three are Florida, Georgia, then Tennessee. I would say uh, after, uh, you know, I'll give you Florida winning the East. I'm fine with that prediction. I still have Georgia. But really, it's a pretty significant fall off after Georgia and Florida as far as chances to win the SEC East. Uh, You know, you talked about Florida and Trask. I like him. I think he's got a lot of upside. But, you know, Georgia, other than Alabama and and maybe better than Alabama, is is running back you. I mean, the guys they've been able to produce, Todd Gurley, DeAndre Swift, Nick Chubb, uh, Sony Michelle. I, I mean, you know, the they're gonna have athletes, and I think I think they in the end they out athlete Florida and, and move on to the SEC championship out of the East. Yeah. So you were talking about Alabama and running back you. So we're gonna move on to what I think is the most competitive uh, division in all college football, Not the even close. SEC West. Not even close. Uh, what do you think? You know, you have the the considered last year the considered the best team in college football ever. And now they have to total rebuild. Alabama is still Alabama, and you got a couple other teams. What are you looking at? Well, you're not going to keep Bama down for long. You're not going to keep Nick Saban down for long, and, and and they're hungry. They had a disappointing last year. You know, had some injuries with with the quarterback situation in Tua, but but Alabama is not going to stay down for long. I think Alabama comes in and 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 beats some really talented teams, the likes of. Auburn, LSU, uh, Texas A&M. I, I think they handled them pretty easily. Um, I, I, you know, I'll go ahead and say it. I have Alabama ultimately winning the SEC and moving on to the college football playoffs. You know, they've got Najee Harris, they've got uh, Jalen Waddle, they've got Devontae Smith. I mean, really dynamic players on the offensive offensive side of the ball. Uh, and we've had this conversation before, Dalton. I would argue that Alabama is a better football team with a a non-household named quarterback. And what I mean by that is, 
you know, you've got your your Greg McElroy's, you've got your AJ McCarrens, and not that those weren't quality players, but they were more of a facilit a facilitator type guy that can that can easily get the ball to you know a Heisman uh, a Heisman caliber running back, crazy athletic receivers, and, and I think that that helps Alabama's success. And, and Alabama is defensive. You, if you ask me, I mean they 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 have five or six first rounders on on the defensive side of the ball. What seems like every year in the NFL, so. But high hopes out of Alabama. I definitely think that this is the most competitive division in college football, but Alabama's taking this one. Yeah, I have Alabama one as well. Uh, there is, I do think there is a quarterback battle. You have Mac Jones, and then you have freshman quarterback Bryce Young, who's one of the top-rated quarterbacks. Um, I said without a spring that gives the edge to Mac Jones, so I think he will start because he had experience. But I think you're right. You know, if you look at all the stats. When Alabama kind of has a lesser-known quarterback, they seem to play better. And they are running back you for a reason. And Najee Harris, I feel like he's finally, this is his year where he's going to be the only running back getting the ball. I think he's going to be a, a, have a breakout year. I mean, he's 6'2", 230, a lot of comparisons to uh, Derrick Henry. So, oh, Lord. yeah. Uh, Alabama does lose Jared Judy. He went to the draft. Yep. But they do have Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell, who is one of the fastest guys in college football. And uh, they return four out of five offensive linemen, which is very important for a running back U type of team. Uh, for their defense, injuries killed them last year, and they returned three starters that were very important to them. Dylan Moses, LeByron May, and DJ Dale. So those three players are very important. I think Alabama has a lot of revenge, and they're coming out, and they're going to beat everybody, including LSU. Now, Ryan, LSU, 15-0 and last year. They were the big dog. What do you think is going to happen this year? Do you think they still have a shot? Now listen, I, I I love the LSU football program. I love Coach O. I think the tradition behind it is is one of the best in college football. But this is not LSU's year. It's going to be a rebuild year. Uh, new starting quarterback. I, I think we talked about it, and we said twenty five players went on to the NFL. I mean, it doesn't matter what program you are. That is that is tough to to rebuild in one year's notice. Uh, you know, you still got Jamar Chase, you still got Stingley at DB, and and, and I'm not saying they're not going to win some ball games. Uh, I have them ranked pretty high in my preseason rankings, but just the the toughness of the SEC as a whole is really going to wear on on them with a with a young quarterback, his first starting experience, and and I actually have them getting third in, in my West standings. Uh, I've got Auburn ahead of them. I'm a big Bo Nix guy. I love Bo Nix. I think Bo Nix is going to tear up the SEC. Uh, I think he finishes second in the West. I think Auburn goes on, possibly plays in, in one of the bigger bowl games. And But, yeah, you know, LSU, that, that, that's tough to say because they did just come off of arguably the greatest college football season ever. But I think, I think it's going to be a rebuild year for them. Yeah, I wrote in my notes. I had two things. I had high expectations, brand new team. I mean, they don't. One of the most important people they're losing is Joe Brady, their offensive coordinator last year. That changed LSU's offense completely. But uh, their new quarterback's going to be Miles Brennan. Don't sleep on Miles Brennan. He's a good player. He's going to be. A, I think he's going to shock a lot of people. But he's not going to have the same numbers as Burrow, and that's going to say they're going to say, "Oh, they're not as good." Like you have to have record-breaking numbers just to like compare to last year's. Team. It's definitely hard to be the second act in, in that situation. Yeah, and they lose Clyde Edward Alaire. 
and one of their returning Jamar Chase, he's going to be very important to the team. I don't know if he's going to have the same numbers as he did last year, but I think he should have a good season. And they also have a new freshman tight end, a five-star named Arik Gilbert, which could be good. Uh, they have a brand new defensive coordinator, and they're changing their formation from a 3-4 to a 4-3, which could affect. Uh, but somebody we forgot to mention, North Dakota State University, Jabril Cox, is coming down to LSU. Now, he will, we in the FCS know he was a stud for North Dakota State, so it's going to be really fun to see him kind of adapt. And also Derek Stingley Jr., who is considered one of the best player, defensive players next to uh, Michael Parsons from Penn State. Now, I have LSU at two and Auburn at three because, you know, I like Bo Nix, but he's kind of hit or miss. You know, he had that game-winning throw in Oregon, great game, but he struggled against Florida and LSU. So I think he needs to be very consistent. And another problem with Auburn is they lost all five of their offensive linemen. I keep bringing up numbers with offensive linemen, but it's really important to have an offensive lineman that are returning starters because if having a brand-new offensive line can kill a team, and the fact they have an entire offensive line could change all of that, especially the center. You have to build chemistry with your quarterback. And without a spring and with only like a couple weeks of training camp, you know, you don't get a lot of time to work on it. But I really do like Auburn. They, I think they can be considered in D-line U. You know, they always have a good d- defensive lineman. So I think their defense is going to be very good. Um, they are losing their two top defensive linemen that just got drafted. So I, I'm curious to see who fills the role. But I do like Auburn. Another team that I like that you don't like is Texas A&M. Now, I don't think Texas A&M is going to win the SEC West, but I think they can surprise a lot of people. They've returned 16 players, and Kellen Maude is considered the most experienced quarterback on the in the SEC because he's played the longest. Jimbo Fisher is a great coach. I think they can surprise a lot of people and come out with some wins that they aren't expected to get. Here's the problem. Kellen Mond, <clears throat> you talked about experience, absolutely. But... What big games has he won? You know, I know they beat LSU that year in seven OT, whatever. But I just think I think he's a good quarterback, but he, he's certainly not a great quarterback. Um, LSU, they all are LSU. Excuse me, Texas A&M. They always have the the athletes. The, there's no doubt about that. But I, I think that they're just a little brother in, in the SEC West. You know, with with such a hard conference slate. I mean. They they got to play Auburn and then and then to end the season they have to play LSU and Bama and I just I just don't see them winning those three games and so I you know I have them going five and three ish in conference play but have them getting fourth in the West and and that's about it. I mean, let me give you this: if you put A and M in the SEC East, do they win? I think that they're certainly more competitive. Uh, I don't think they're anywhere in the ballpark with Georgia. Uh, and and probably not most Florida teams, but I, you know I, I guess they compete more. I, they're they're just gonna they're gonna be a little brother in the SEC West for for the foreseeable future, in my opinion. Yeah, but I I do think that they they could pull off some upsets that people don't expect. Uh, another two teams that you know I'm interested to watch are both Mississippi's Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Mississippi State has Mike Leach, which is an offensive power. And uh, I'm interested to see, but, you know, they have a three-game stretch where they play Alabama and LSU away and then Auburn at home. I mean, that's just killer right there. You can't you can't win a lot of games when you have tough games like that. And then Ole Miss, you know, they have a young quarterback that kind of ran all over the field last year. I got to run. Yeah, he's a stud. So, you know, and then Arkansas, you know, they're not very good, but you never know. They're, there's always a team that comes around and shocks everybody. But that's the thing, though. You, you mentioned Arkansas and, and both Mississippis. Those are the teams that A&M loses to. 
Uh, yeah, okay, maybe they can't upset uh, an Auburn, an LSU, or a Bama, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if Mississippi State beat them. It wouldn't surprise me if, if Arkansas beat them in Jerry World, you know. As bad as Arkansas is, that seems like it's a close game way too often than not. Yeah, and another conference that does that where all these little teams come around and beat the big teams is the Big 12. Now, for the Big 12, it kind of seems like there's a playoff battle between two teams, but there's a couple teams that could shock everybody. Big 12 is kind of our playground. We like the Big 12 a little bit more. One of my favorite teams on there. You got a couple teams you like. Uh, Talk to me about the Big 12. I think the Big 12 is – I think a lot of people are – are selling OU to to win that with with ease and and I disagree. Maybe that's biased. Maybe it's not. But I think replacing a a Heisman Trophy esque quarterback is not that easy. And yes, I understand they did it three times, but those are all transfers and it's different. You know, they had experience. This is a he's going to be a redshirt freshman, Spencer Spencer Rattler, and uh, I got a couple things to say about him. Uh, don't get me wrong. The dude's talented, okay, and I think he's got a lot of weapons around him. However, the the Heisman talks surrounding Spencer Rattler really fires me up, okay? What has he done, Dalton? Do you want to hear? Because I know. Okay? Yeah, go ahead. Tell me, tell me what he's done. Spencer Rattler, and, and, and I'm not saying, again, talented dude, and, and I know he was behind a great quarterback in Jalen Hurts last year, but here, here's his stat line, okay? Seven for 11. And one touchdown, okay? And he's a Heisman trope. Hey, Dalton, you want to hear my career collegiate passing stats as a receiver? Okay? Yeah, hit me with Not it. the same level. I get that. This isn't Oklahoma. But this is still Division One football. I'm 7 for 12 with two touchdowns in my collegiate career. And Spencer Rattler is, you know, talked behind Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Put in that category. So what I hear is... Ryan Humphrey should be top <laughs> no, five. No, but my point is we are way jumping the gun on Spencer Rattler being a Heisman hopeful. Uh, I think he, he can be a successful guy, but let's watch one full season before we, we use the H word with Spencer Rattler. Yeah, and I, I think it, it, it is also the Oklahoma legacy. Like You kind of have to put them there because they always end up being – in the conversation, but do you have OU winning the Big 12? What are your standings looking like? So I was going through going through the Big 12 schedules today, and, and to me the perennial top three teams are, are Oklahoma, Texas, and Oklahoma State. And, and interestingly enough, I, I actually have them all beating each other. Okay, so I have, I have Texas beating OU. I have OU beating Oklahoma State, and I have Oklahoma State beating Texas. All are going to end up about 8-1 and one in Big 12 conference play. That is my prediction. And so, you know, there'll be a lot of tiebreakers with a three-way tie to that extent. And, and, you know, two of those will make it to the Big 12 championship. I have it as Texas and OU. Um, you know, I know that the, the consensus is that OU is going to beat Texas, and I are going to say – Whatever, Ryan is is being biased towards Texas having them win the Big 12. But Sam Ellinger is an animal. I mean, that dude, he is not appreciated enough. And and I truly believe that it is is his turn to take a seat at the table with the likes of Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields 
and, and I think he's going to have a a Heisman type season. I, I I truly believe that he is capable of being a finalist in New York for the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, I don't want I don't want people to think that you're picking Texas because you're a Texas fan. So I will step in and defend you because I have Texas number one, and I'll explain why. Sam Ellinger is the key. He has 33 starts in his career. He came back for a senior year. He didn't have to. He chose to. And I think this is a team, you know, I every year Texas fans say, like, this is the year Texas is back. But if you look at who's here and who's playing, this is the team where they're going to have to have a shot. The problem is, is for 10 straight seasons, they've had two losses with teams not named Oklahoma. And that is a problem every year, whether it's Oklahoma State, which they seem to never win. TCU always comes in and does something. Texas Tech comes in and does something. But I think this team has the best-looking team. They have a brand-new offensive coordinator from Oklahoma State. Uh, they, they lose Devin DuVernay and Colin Johnson, but they have Malcolm Epps, who is 6'7". He is very tall, big receiver like Colin Johnson. They have Jake Smith. He is a fast slot receiver. And then they have Brennan Eagles, who is a also good. He can play inside and outside. And also that player a lot of people don't know because he didn't play jordan jordan winnington yeah now i know high school football legend yeah everyone in texas knows who he is he's a former five star i put him in an athlete because i think he he they have him at running back he can play slot he can probably play outside receiver i think jordan winnington might be something he might be a player that changes the the whole offense for texas along with Keontae Ingram, who was also playing. Yeah, I, I was going to mention Keontae Ingram. Uh, to me, he he's a he's a guy that's primed and ready to have a big big season at running back. I, I, you know, I'd love for Texas to kind of do the the Saints, Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram system with Whittington and Keontae Ingram. I think you know they're both dynamic players, and you mentioned the receivers. Another receiver. Did did you mention Tarek Black? Yeah, the, no. The, the the Michigan transfer, yeah, big time. That dude is a stud. I, I think he comes in and makes an immediate impact. Yeah, and they and also with the running back little group that they have, they just got a five star running back in Bijan Robinson, who's also a really quick running back. And you know, Big Twelve is known for their offense and scoring po- points, but you know, UT's defense doesn't look bad. I know they like to say they're DBU, but they're returning Caden Stearns and BJ Foster, who are some of the top ranked uh, safeties and corners. And also they have Deshaun Jameson. And then, you know, I have to shout out my boy from Alvin, Marquise Caldwell. That's my boy. I'm hoping he gets some time in. Uh, but they also have Joseph Asai at outside linebacker, middle linebacker combo. And then another guy that I've seen that a lot of people haven't is Keandre Coburn. He's a nose guard or a nose tackle, and he tears it up. He's able to get in and make some big stops. So I like Texas at number one. I think I think they're going to beat Oklahoma because, like you, I'm not ready yet to say anything about Spencer Rattler. You know, I didn't. He was good in high school, but I didn't see a lot out of him. Uh, they lose Ceedee Lamb going to the boys, yeah. your boys, yeah. the Cowboys. Uh, they have a couple good receivers that are going to replace him, and their defense took a they took a step upward, but they still need a lot of improvement. They don't really have a lot of big name guys on their defense. But you said Oklahoma State at three. And where I fight that is I put Baylor at three still. Oh. Now so, let's, so you, do you have Oklahoma State at four? Yeah. Ooh. I have Oklahoma State at four. And let me tell you why. Ooh. Let me tell you why. LSU's defensive coordinator is now the head coach at Baylor. They went from a 1-11 team to an 11-3 team. I think Charlie Brewer, he might have a Heisman season if he plays like he did last year. If he year. plays is the problem. He's 2,700 yards away from RG3's record, which is 
which is kind of big time. RG3 was the Heisman winner. Uh, their problem is they don't have an offensive line, and they kind of they don't have a running back that is big name yet. And they lost their two best receivers that kind of carried Baylor for them. Along with that, they lost two of their best defensive players. So they are losing a lot of players, but I think with the brand-new coaching staff they're getting in and with Charlie Brewer, I think Baylor can still have the season they had last year, and I think they're going to come in at number three. Why do, you, why do you think Oklahoma State above Baylor? I mean, their offense is unbelievable. Chubba Hubbard uh, you know, had a 2,000-yard season last year, and I do not see him stopping anytime soon. I think he ha- has a great opportunity to finish in New York as a Heisman Trophy candidate. Uh, and and I've, I've actually been to a game in Stillwater, and that place is rocking. Uh, so I think that they can beat just about anybody in this conference. Uh, I, see, I see a lot out of their offense uh, coming, coming into 2020. Uh, my fourth spot is you know, you're talking about Baylor. I have Baylor way down on the list. I don't really. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm. I like Charlie Brewer, but after some of the hits he took late in the year, he just looked like a different person. And I don't. You know, I don't know if that'll translate to now. But you can't tell me that that he looked the same at the end of the year last year. So I'm. I'm definitely concerned, and I'm also concerned with the the loss of Denzel Mims. Mm-hmm. I played against him in high school. Dude is unreal. So I'm worried about that. I'll get to them later, but my fourth team, and and this is you talked about the Big Twelve just always having that middle of the pack team take down one of the big dogs. Iowa State is the epitome of that, and they do it every year. I it, it would not I wouldn't bat an eyelash if if you told me that Iowa State took down OU, Texas, Oklahoma State. I mean they do it all the time. Cyclone Nation, those games I've heard that they're awesome. It's an awesome experience. So I love Iowa State. Uh, Here's my team. Here's my sleeper team, and I'm not. I'm again. I'm not even being biased. My sister went here, so you know you can say what you want. She was a part of the football program, so I got to be around it. I got to love Gary Patterson. Think he's one of the best underrated coaches in college football. What he's able to do for those players and some of the players that he's he's able to grab as a as a former Mountain West team coming into. The Big Twelve, kind of a kind of a little brother to some of the bigger dogs. Gary Patterson is the man in TCU. I love their their new quarterback, Max Duggan. He runs the ball really well. I saw I saw a lot of potential out of him last year, and a lot of people didn't talk about this because it was so late in the recruiting trail. But Zachary Evans, dude, I forgot about Zach. Yeah, Zachary Evans out of North Shore. Okay, signed with Georgia. That fell through. And it was a sure thing that A&M was going to get him. But out of nowhere, TCU comes and nabs him. So I don't know if he'll play as a true freshman. You know, I know that's a tough deal to do. But if he was able to get into the the rushing game and have a big year, TCU always has a solid defense. And so I don't know. I think they could probably make some noise. Yeah, I had, you know, unfortunately for Mr. Humphreys, I had TCU at nine. Woo! You know, I just looked at all the teams, and the team I had at six, which also comes, is kind of like the Iowa State, is West Virginia. I can't name one player on West Virginia. I'm not even going to lie to you. Does Will Greer still play there? No, he, he's gone. <laughs> no, I know. I but know. West Virginia, you know, they, they seem to always have Texas's number, which, you know, Texas always has those teams that beat them. So I put West Virginia a lot higher. Um, if Going back to Oklahoma State, look, I said stuff about Oklahoma State. I still really like Oklahoma State. They have 19 starters coming back. Two 
of which are considered the best in their position with Chubba Hubbard and Taylon Wallace. I forgot about Taylon Wallace. That dude is a, yeah. is a freak athlete. He led the Power Five in yards per game and yards per catch before he got injured. Wow. And then uh, they have three other receivers behind him, including uh, an LSU transfer, which is a former four-star in D. Anderson. So you you have a good offensive unit along with Spencer Sanders, who is one of the fastest quarterbacks in the— Didn't run. Yeah, and then their defense went from rank 80 to 37, so that's very important. You always want your defense to be better, especially in the Big 12 where it's offensive friendly. Um, so I, I'm going to stick with Texas, Oklahoma, Baylor, and Oklahoma State, but you know, I think this season's going to be kind of a toss-up, and it's going to be kind of, you know, I wrote down in my notes, Oklahoma versus Texas equals playoff bound. So that you know their their first game in the rivalry game is going to be important, and then maybe if they play in the uh, Big Twelve Championship, it's going to be important. But I think those two teams are going to be the main focus. But there are also you know Oklahoma State, Baylor, uh, you know TCU, whatever. Somebody there's going to be a surprise that happens somewhere in that group. Do you agree? Yes, I, I totally agree with the the upset talk. But I, I want to talk about what you said about the Big Twelve Championship. Something that makes the the Big 12 at a little bit of a disadvantage as far as the playoffs go, especially in the four-playoff system, is the Big 12 is the only conference where every team plays every other team in the regular season. And so not only do you have to beat that team once in the regular season, give or take, I know records, it changes, whatever, but you're going to have to beat them again in the Big 12 championship. So, you know, you've had Texas win – versus Oklahoma during the regular season and Oklahoma win in the Big 12 title game. And, you know, nowadays it's hard not to go undefeated, you know, to get into the college football playoffs. You almost have to. Uh, the one-loss teams kind of get snubbed in that 4-5-6 range uh, for, for postseason rankings, but it just makes it tough. I, it is tough to beat the same team twice because it's hard to change up, you know, what you're doing against that specific team. So, I think you're right. Depending on what their records are, the OU Texas Big 12 Championship could have playoff implications. Yeah, I mean, a perfect example of that is last year with Baylor and Oklahoma. Baylor beats Oklahoma in the regular season, and then Oklahoma beats Baylor in the championship game. So, you know, in order for Texas, in order for Texas to be where I want it to be, they cannot lose a game. They cannot lose these little games that are not very important because, and I don't know why they always seem to do that, but. You know, Big 12 is very competitive, but, you know, I'm sticking with Texas. I think finally Texas is going to be back. And then we move on to the last conference, which is the Pac-12. Uh, you know, we have – this is a tough one. They've been in a little bit of a slump. They haven't made the playoffs in a while. Uh, there's not very – there's not much competition in the Pac-12 is what people like to say. Um, but I think it's getting better and better as we go. Uh, let's talk Pac-12 North. Pac-12 North, that holds my team this year, baby. I am a big Oregon Duck for 2020. Uh, I'll go ahead and tell you, I absolutely have them making the college football playoffs this year. And, and hot take. Uh, it's a hot take, all right, but it'll be it'll be sweet when that happens. They've got a new quarterback coming in to replace the great Justin Herbert, and I feel good about him. Uh, he's he's certainly surrounded by very talented players. I mean, tons of. Tons of projected first-round picks. I mean, Tyler uh, Tyler Shaw is going to be the going to be the quarterback next year for for Oregon. It looks like, and I think the Pac-12 is pretty weak as a whole. So I see I see Oregon winning 
every game in conference pretty pretty handedly. Um, at, you know, you've got you've got Penace uh, Sewell, who, who's arguably going to be the number one overall pick. You've got Javon Holland, who, who's one of the top safeties in the college football world. And, and not to mention, you have nine returning starters on defense, which in, in a weaker conference, that, that's going to go a long way. Uh, I'm not worried about Oregon scoring points. They seem to always have a dynamic offense, but nine returning starters really gets me excited. So I have them winning the Pac-12 North pretty handedly. Here's my problem with Oregon, and now we don't know with the COVID if we're having a conference only, but if we're doing a regular schedule, uh, is it week two or week one they play Ohio State? Uh, uh, week two, because week one they were supposed to play North Dakota State. Yeah, it's going to be a fun game too. Yeah. But Oregon versus Ohio State is very important for both teams, but especially Oregon, because if Oregon loses to Ohio State, they kind of have to go undefeated in Pac-12 play. And, you know, I found this little fun fact that no team has gone undefeated in conference play since 2011. So that kind of puts Oregon on like a little chopping block if they lose to Ohio State, which I think is going to be a great game. Uh, you're right. The quarterback right now is Tyler Show or Shaw, however you say it. But reading his little scouting report, they said he's a le- got a little bit lesser of an arm. He's a little bit slower, but he possesses the same leadership, which is very important as a quarterback. But there's also Boston College transfer Anthony Brown, who is going to be competing for that spot but unfortunately, he's coming off of a second major knee injury, which, I mean, that'll kill you. That, that you can't really, after two of those, that's going to that's gonna struggle. But their receiving core, they returned 10 players with double-digit receptions. That's very important. And their little trio of running backs combined for 2,200 2, yards. So, I mean, they have a really strong offense. And like you said, their defense looks really good. Uh, they returned Kavion Thibodeau, which is one of the top players. Yeah. Uh, they have Mark, Markel uh, Wright and Brady Breeze, who are all top performers on defense. The only problem is is they lose their captain in Troy Dye, which was their linebacker. He kind of led the whole – they called him the quarterback of the defense. But uh, they have a guy they're going to think they take over. His name's Isaac Slade Montatua. So I think, I think Oregon's still set for a good run. I also have Oregon at number one. And then for the North – after Oregon, there's not really it's not really looking too hot. With with Washington not being a, a prominent team this year, I, I'm telling you, I, I really think that this makes a, a pretty easy conference schedule for Oregon because Washington, you know, has had some really solid teams over in the college football playoff era, and they don't to me they don't have that this year. Is there any team in the North that you could see surprising somebody or having a game that could really change how, you know, especially Oregon at least, that could change the Pac-12? Man, maybe Stanford, maybe. So that's what I, I was thinking. I think Stanford comes back, and I also put Washington State because I know they're losing Mike Leach, but I still think they have a really high-powered offense they that he a lot built. Of points, so yeah. that's good. I, st- I think they could have something surprising. Cal is okay, but, I mean, yeah, like, like you said, Oregon is kind of – is kind of the team right now in the Pac-12 North, but then the Pac-12 South, you got a couple teams. What do you see for the South? Yeah, much more competitive uh, division. Uh, initially, my thoughts were that USC was going to win this one, but after I looked at some schedules, you know, USC, Arizona State, and Utah are, are going to all be in the mix. Um, and I actually, I think I've talked myself out of it. Uh, I think I've got Utah winning the Pac-12 South. Um, you know, last year last year they 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 were very close to making the college football playoffs. Uh, a big loss to Oregon at the end of the year kind of spoiled that. You know, they had one of the top defenses and I expect them to have another talented year. I don't 
They're not a college football playoff team. They're not better than Oregon, but they are good enough to win the South and and beat USC, Arizona State, and UCLA. Yeah, I I, I when I looked it up, it said Utah has the easiest Pac-12 schedule, and that is very important because you know, like we were talking about with the Big Twelve, with the Pac-12, you're not playing all the teams, so having an easy schedule like that is very important. Uh, I have USC at one, but they have the tenth most difficult schedule in the nation, playing Alabama first and Notre Dame last. Yeah, they almost they almost look. I mean, I I read an article talking about if if out of conference games get canceled, that they're probably the luckiest team in the nation as far as record wise because they they have got two out of conference games that they were slated to lose. Yeah, without and they're kind of in the same situation as Oregon, where if they lose to Alabama week one, they cannot lose a game after that. And then they have to play Notre Dame last, which always comes around and has a good team. But uh, I, I really like USC. Graham Harrell is a new OC, and he changed to an air raid offense, which kind of showed a lot of success for USC. They're, I feel like they're trying to change their culture and go back to the old USC that was once was. Uh, they have Kendon Slavis, who I am a big fan of. I think, I think in the future, if he stays in college football, he will be a potential Heisman winner, but I don't even think after this year. I think next year he'll probably go to the draft. I think he's that good of a quarterback. Uh, they have they have St. Brown at receiver, who is a very quick receiver, and they also bring in five-star Brew McCoy, which kind of had a weird little story of how he went to USC, went to Texas, came back. But he's here now. He's a good receiver, and I like him. And then on defense, they have Todd Orlando. And I know last year their defense kind of struggled in the Big 12, but you have to think about you know his success in Houston and Texas. In Ooh, Houston, I don't know about success in Texas. He was he was all right. He was okay, but okay. Let's go back to Houston then. Beats Oklahoma, beats Florida State, and they had they had a really good. Also, they had you know that offense was really good, but their defense was something as well. They had Ed Oliver, who's now with the Bills. So I like Todd Orlando. Um, but the problem with them is their defense, they don't really have a lot of big-time players. The only player that I could find was freshman All-American Drake Jackson, which if you're a freshman All-American, you're already really high up on the board. I look for him to have a really good year. Um, so I have USC 1, Utah 2, and Arizona State. I think Arizona State can come around and have a really good year. I'm big Herm Edwards. Herm Edwards, guy. for sure. I absolutely agree with that. Uh, they have a young quarterback, too, and I think their offense is, is really good. I would like to see Arizona have a good year. They could maybe go up to number two, depending how Utah beca- uh, becomes. Utah just lost their quarterback. I don't remember what team he transferred to, but he just transferred out. He went to Utah State. So they, I think Utah is going to be looking for a quarterback, but they're, they are a more defensive team. Uh, and then UCLA, maybe. They might come around. Uh, I think I think down there with UCLA, Colorado, and Arizona, nothing really coming out of those three. UCLA guys. is just always one of those teams that you know looks pretty good on paper, but just doesn't doesn't really get it done. I mean, I think they're a team that can probably knock off one of those teams. I mean, you know, UCLA USC is always a big game. It's a good rivalry, and okay, maybe UCLA pulls off that one, but. You know, then they then they go and lose to to the bottom of the pack, and so I don't don't really have a lot of high hopes for them. And I I, I think we're on the same page as far as you know that's going to be a competitive division in the Pac-12. Uh, but but it's it's Oregon's to lose in my opinion. Yeah, I think uh, I think Oregon and USC face off for the Pac-12 championship, and I think it's going to be an absolutely great game. I might go USC. I, I ooh, like USC. Ooh. Oregon's my team, so I'm 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 going to stick with that uh, against. 
against Utah, and Oregon moves on to play in the college football playoff. Speaking of college football playoff, let's give our top four. But before we do that, you know, we were talking earlier before we started the podcast, and you had a really good idea about, you know, with everything going on and trying this out, so kind of hit me with it. Yeah, so I've said this before. I've made this this comment, and and this this is this was before all the COVID stuff, and with COVID, I think that this it's a great great time to try it. Um, I've always said that the fourteen playoff is tough because undoubtedly there has been examples where the fifth ranked team in the nation was good enough to win the national championship. I do not think that that is up for debate. But the ninth team in an 18 playoff is, is going to be less likely to win the national championship. So I think with, a, with, with the, the revisions to this next football season that we're likely to see, try an 18 playoff. Make it a one-year deal. I mean, let's just let's try it out. I think, I think what it does is it gives teams a chance to prove themselves because, you know, USC's not playing Alabama. Ohio State's not playing Oregon. You're losing those big-time, high-caliber games that have tons of playoff implications. So instead of that, widen the playoff field, make it eight teams, give those teams a chance to show what they've got, and and let's get some new teams in the playoffs. I mean, every year after year, you know, it's it's Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, and one more team, it seems like. And, you know, not that those teams don't deserve it, but... I know in the first college football playoff that TCU was every bit as good as as the four teams that made it that year. And, and so I think think with an 18 playoff that you're going to show a more true champion or at least give other teams a shot. And with all the changes coming, I think that this is the year to try it. Yeah, I, I've always been a fan of having a more kind of like the FCS playoffs. And I think eight is a good number. And, you know, it would create a lot of good moments. Some of the greatest moments in college football history are the upsets. And I think seeing a, you know, an eight beat a one would be crazy. And it would show that that eight team is good enough and they deserve to be in the national championship. I think it's really interesting and I think it's a good idea. I think the NCAA would make a lot of money uh, having those big broadcast type of games like a playoff situation. Uh, And the players would like it, you know. If you're if you're like Utah who lost and had to face Texas in the Alamo Bowl, thinking you were about to be in the playoffs, I mean that crushes that team. They don't. They're going in there thinking, you know, we don't care. Same for Georgia when they win the Sugar Bowl against Texas. They had no. They didn't care. They're like, okay, we're just this bowl means nothing to us. If it's a playoff game, those those games leading up to the national championship are all important. And like you said, we could get to see really cool matchups that you won't get to see a lot. But unfortunately. We don't know if that's going to happen, so we're going to stick with the normal four-team playoff. So give me – let's start off with number four. Let's go from four to one. Who is your number four team? Number four, and you've, you've heard me talk really highly about them. I've got a lot of, a lot of high hopes. I think they, think they walk through this season. Uh, I'm going the Oregon Ducks. Uh, my number four, you know, I like Oregon, uh, but I think it's going to become Big 12. I think strength of schedule will go above – and I'm going Texas at number four. Like I said, I think I I hope and I think this is going to be the team that makes it. So I'm going Texas number four. Listen, I would I would love that more than anyone. Believe me, uh, I, I would I would love nothing more than than Sam Ellinger to to make it to the college football playoffs and show that he is one of the top quarterbacks in Texas history. 
Yeah, uh, me too. I think I think this is the year. Oklahoma is kind of at a rebuild stage, and I think if they have any year to do it with the best team they've had in a while, I think this is their one of their last chance to do it until Oklahoma comes back and is the power they've been. Who's your number three? Number three, I've got. Um, it's you know from here to me, it's pretty easy. Uh, I've got Bama. I think Bama comes back with vengeance this year. They're going to dominate the SEC and. Saban's back. He, he's he's mad, and, and he's coming for blood. Yeah, I think, like you said, I think we kind of have the same answers going up. I have Alabama, too. I'm interested to see who plays quarterback for Alabama or if they kind of do like a double quarterback situation. I'd like to see how Najee Harris does. I think he has a great year. Um, and I think they're coming back, and they're going to be very angry at last year, and they're going to have a really good year. Alabama at three. Who's number two? Number two, I've got I've got Ohio State. And Justin Fields, I think, you know, you talked about them losing some really big-name players, and though that may be true, they, you know, having a Heisman quarterback like Justin Fields is is plus 10 in every category. I mean, he's a he's an absolute game-changer, and, and he's, he's going to elevate Ohio State to another playoff appearance. Uh, also, Ohio State, I'm interested to see how the players that come in and take over the roles of all the stars that left, how they do. Uh, I am interested to see how Justin Field does, and uh, I think I think they are gonna do have a really good year, and not a lot of competition in the Big Ten. So Ohio State number two. I think we both know who number one is. Uh, Clemson, obviously. Tell me why you have Clemson at one. I I didn't even hesitate when I put Clemson at number one. They're my preseason number one, and they're my postseason number one. I think Clemson is. I think it's their national championship to lose. If we're being honest, I think Trevor Lawrence is. I mean, he's unbelievable. I mean, when he beat Bama as a freshman, uh, I I just you know I think he is he's truly special. Travis Etienne is a stud, and and I love I love Dabo Sweeney. So Clemson's my number one. I've got them going on to win the national championship, playing against Ohio State. And what do you got, Dalton? Uh, I'm on the same page. I like you said. I think this is their team. To, uh, this is the team that they're gonna win. They have a bad taste in their mouth after losing to LSU. I think Trevor Lawrence is gonna go out on top before he becomes the number one pick for whoever he goes to. And I have them beating Ohio State as well. And then for f- the last thing we're gonna do is we're gonna talk Heisman. And you know I have a bunch of different options, but let's do our three finalists and then we'll pick our winner. Okay. Uh, so my three finalists are Trevor Lawrence. Justin Fields and we talked about him in the show, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Sam Ellinger. Uh, I have Trevor Lawrence, Chubba Hubbard, and Sam Ellinger, two Big Twelve guys. I know, but you know, Big Twelve is an offensive run league. I think the stats are gonna be high, and you know, I had Texas at four, and in order to do that, Sam Ellinger has to have numbers. And if you put a team that's kind of ranked mid mid top twenty five and go all the way up to four, they're gonna put him in the Heisman running. If Texas if Texas finishes four like you have them, Sam Ellinger might win the Heisman. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, Trevor Lawrence is is slated to have a huge year, but he he's kind of got the LeBron effect, effect surrounding him. He he's got to have an unreal year to to exceed expectations. If Sam Ellinger boosts the Texas Longhorns to a playoff team, he might win the Heisman. Yeah, and you said, you know, our last episode you talked about MVP and how you like Dak because they like a new MVP. Kind of the same situation in college football. You see Joe Burrow, not even in the conversation, has a great year. He wins it. 
And like, like you said, Trevor Lawrence, he had a great year last year, but because it wasn't as good as before, he's not going to win the Heisman. I think in order for Texas to get into the playoffs, Ellinger has to have the best year he's ever had. He's going to have amazing numbers. Uh, I put Chubba Hubbard in there because he's going to excel with the Oklahoma State offense, and I think he's going to have he's the best running back in college football. I think he's going to have a lot of good numbers. And Trevor Lawrence, of course, you know, I, I just feel wrong not having him in the conversation. So I'm going to put Trevor Lawrence in there. And look, like you said, I, I want to say Sam Ellinger is going to win the Heisman, but I'm going to go with a safe answer and pick Trevor Lawrence. But ha- let it be here. If he does win, I said it first. <laughs> I picked him, but I'm going safe answer. Yeah, and I, I'm going to go the safe answer as well. Uh, I think Trevor Lawrence does, in fact, exceed expectations and goes on to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. National champion, Heisman Trophy winner, all that. Uh, but Sam Ellinger, definitely definitely a dark horse in, in this year's Heisman. Uh, but I'm going to go Trevor Lawrence. So that is our college football. Wait, 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 wait. we got a little bit of time, Dalton. So I want to ask you a question. All right, I'm ready. Dalton, give me your favorite college football moment of all time and walk me through it. Okay. So my favorite college football moment of all time is the Iron Bowl, Alabama versus Auburn, the kick six. You know, it is a once in a lifetime moment. It brought Auburn to the national championship against a powerhouse Alabama team that was winning left and right those four years. And uh, I mean, you're never going to see a return field goal to win the game 99 yards in one of the greatest rivalries of all time. That is the best moment of all time. Humphreys, what is your best moment in college football history? So I asked this question because if you if you follow our Twitter, uh, we, we we counted down the show the re, the release of episode one with the the greatest moments in NFL history and the greatest moments in college football history, and you guys don't see this, this is a little bit behind the scene, but. Me and old Dalton over here definitely were butting heads with with our rankings, uh, and it was uh, we we had to come to an agreement because there it wasn't wasn't my opinion versus his. We we had to form one opinion, and so I knew he was going to say the kick six because he was so adamant about that being number one. And personally, I think that's that that's a very hot take. Uh, the number one moment. I don't just believe this. The whole entire world believes this. You can look up any list in the nation. It's on about once a month on ESPN. They reshow the game. But Vince Young running into the corner on fourth down to beat 34 wins in a row USC in the national championship of the Rose Bowl is not debatable. It is the greatest moment in college football history. That's my number one. I'll let kick six be two, whatever. But Vince Young into the corner is the greatest of all time. And, you know, after a long argument, I did agree. But, you know, if you the stakes and the story behind the Texas run, I think, weighs over. But if we're talking the play, I mean, he, he was untouched, walked into the end zone. What a boring play to be the number one moment. A miss, you know, Alabama kicked that field goal thinking, you know what, we're just going to kick it. If we miss, we're going to overtime, whatever. The guy returns it. Everybody's like, okay, let's make the tackle, get it over with. Dude returns it, not even 99. It was like 105. He was at the back of the end zone. Not 109. I mean, he was at the inch line of the back of the end zone. At Auburn, playing a team they didn't think they were going to beat. I mean, that's just a crazy moment. I will give you the play. The play itself is more impressive. But the moment is not even close because – 
one ended in a ring, and one did not. One was a was an awesome rivalry game, put them into the national championship, but ultimately fell short. And and, and Vince Youngs changed the landscape of, of Texas football as we know it, and it ended one of the greatest dynasties in college football history in USC's Matt Leinard and Reggie Bush. But see, you say that, and then I can put in the argument, then what about Hunter Renfro's catch, Clemson versus Alabama? Those are the same exact stakes. It changed Clemson football forever. I'll agree with that. It beat a dynasty in Alabama. Yeah, but you just picked Alabama to go to the playoffs. It didn't end their dynasty. You haven't heard about USC since 2005. That is true. They they have stated that they're trying to get back to that team. And, I mean, that's why we agreed on it being the number one. But if we're talking plays... I'll give you, you, I'll you, give play? you play. I'll give you play. Okay. Here, here's another play I want to mention that if, if I had a second, my favorite moment, I'd go... The two plays to win the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl with Boise State and Oklahoma. It's kind of the first time you'd ever heard about Boise State. Hook and ladder to score. Statue of Liberty to win it. Just an awesome moment. And I, I absolutely love Boise State. They always get kind of, you know, they never really get put in any conversation. And I get it. They're in a weak conference. But they, they have they have the highest winning percentage in college football or top in the three. La- in the last 20 years, I think. And, I mean, that play changed Boise State forever. And, uh, you know, we're talking about Boise State, and that gets into the conversation of top 25. I know that we didn't talk about the top 25 on the pod, but on Twitter we're going to post both of our top 25s. couple hot takes in both of them, but I think it's going to be – we're going to see how it goes from there. It's going to be the preseason top 25. So you get to look at what, who we think is going to be – uh, you know, really good, and uh, according to the stats and how it goes. And, uh, you know, I said Texas is going to be top four in the playoffs, but preseason, I mean, they're low, and that's just how it is because of last year. Uh, anything else before we wrap it up? Yeah, you talked about Boise State and, and not being in a good conference, and that's another reason why the 18 playoff is a good deal. You, you've, you've got the UCFs in the playoffs. You know, they self-proclaimed national champions. Well, put that to the test. You got an 18 playoff, they're going to make it. Well, let's see how they fare against the big dogs, you know. So a Boise State, uh, an SMU, a Memphis, a Cincinnati, those type caliber teams, those size have a chance in an expanded playoffs, and, and I think we'd love to see that. Yeah, I mean, you, you can even see Tom Her- Herman era Houston beat a Baker Mayfield Oklahoma. Yeah, absolutely. So the, and, you know, Memphis is always a high team, Boise State. So that really brings in the idea of having a playoff, which hopefully it will get done eventually. I'm going to pray. Ryan's going to pray. That wraps up our third episode of Walk On Radio. Uh, We're really excited for college football, whether it's spring or fall. We're having college football. Uh, Make sure you pay attention to our Twitter to see the top 25, and we will see you all next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.